0: We're momming today with Dr. Gilboa, Ask Dr. G, and we'll ask her many questions. Um, You know, you you call yourself a resilience expert, but you're also a family physician. And the impetus for this conversation is the Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, issuing an advisory defining public health, the, the biggest public health issue of our time, as that of the mental health issue that's impacting children, that's impacting teenagers, frankly, people of all ages. But he's pinning it on the social media companies, and in my opinion, putting the burden on parents to fix it. Your thoughts? Uh,
1: I I don't see his uh, leaning quite that hard on saying this is all social media companies' fault, but I hear you that social media is a possible inflection point. It's a place to intervene. And there's no question that most people in America feel like the people who should be in charge of deciding what their kids do and don't do are the parents. So, as a parent of four myself, I see that his recommendations are idealistic. <laughs> I know. If it was yeah. easy to wave a magic wand and make sure that all parents knew how to do that and had the time and the resources to do what he's recommending. It would make an incredible impact. The problem with the recommendations isn't that they wouldn't work. It's that they're not practical for most parents' lives.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, just, I, just to talk about uh, this the social media aspect, and I realize it's more than that. You can tell your kids so you're blue in the face they can't be on social media, but they'll find a way around it or to get on it behind your back. Uh, right? Um, it's just—
1: so I. I want to push back on that, Lauren. I don't think that's entirely true. And as you and I have spoken about before, kids themselves are worried about the impact of social media on their lives. So I don't think that they are, you know, that, that they're the inmates and we have to be the wardens entirely about this. So what do we have to do? So we have to start with the absolute worst part of adulting, which is modeling the behavior we want to see.
0: I can't get off my phone. Work needs me on my phone. I totally agree, I'm a physician. (laughs) I
1: have my phone on 24 seven the weeks I'm on call. So you have four kids, what do you do? Right, so I don't mean not being on our phones. I mean, not doing things on our phones to the degree that we don't want our kids doing those things on their phones. Meaning, we have to have balance. I really look at my kids' online life very much like I look at their food. Meaning, I'm never gonna say to my kids, don't eat, right? I'm going to say, here when they're little, I'm going to say, here are the things you may eat. As they get older, I'm going to say, here are the things I hope you'll eat that are healthier for you to eat. And we're going to try to find some sort of balance. There are online experiences, even as young as two, three, four years old, but certainly in middle school and teen years, that are the broccoli experiences, there are the ice cream sundae experiences, and there are the rat poison experiences.
0: Well, I feel like all the kids are on the rat poison Multiple hours a day.
1: Okay, so I disagree that social media is rat poison. I would say things like first-person shooter games, a lot of pornography. Like, there's there's rat poison that's way worse than
0: social media, like the Does social media challenges, times? right? Um, so yeah, the, the 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 challenges, like the TikTok some of the challenges, the choking challenge. Sure. That's what I was thinking.
1: Right. Of. So right. So something that encourages you to put your life in at risk, absolutely, that's rat poison. But I think of social media much more like I think of junk food. So. In moderation, it's not nothing, you know, you're like taking your kids to the state fair and there's a lot of really yummy junk food and it's one of the things you guys look forward to as an experience. Sure. The problem is most often with online life, the issue is quantity more than quality. So, if my kid was hungry and said to me, I want broccoli, at first I'd be patting myself on the back, right? I'm somehow the best parent ever. But if they wanted to sit down at eight o'clock in the morning and eat broccoli without stopping or doing anything else until
0: 10 o'clock at night, at some point I'd be like, hey, Jolly Green Giant, step away from the table. What, b- besides social media, screens, Netflix, video games, wh- why are we in this mental health crisis?
1: We're in a mental health crisis for, I mean, there, there are dissertations written on this, and we're to- not totally sure yet also, right? This is evolving science. But what we can do about it doesn't have to be as extreme and as ide- idealistic as what's being put forth. Public health recommendations have to be idealistic.
0: What, what are they now? What are they now? I'm sorry, what are What, what are the public health recommendations now?
1: So the public health recommendations that just came out around social media is that kids are not on social media until they're 14 unless there's a parent sitting next to them while they're on. And that's unrealistic. So what's more important, what's a better safety mechanism than all of the parental controls you can put on your kids devices is communication with your child about what the risks are, what the benefits are, because if we ignore the fact that there's anything good about it, then we Stop having a realistic conversation. And also, there's some incredibly useful, valuable things about social media. Not to mention, there's no job I can think of any of my kids growing up to have where they wouldn't have to have these skills.
0: Right. No, I agree. So
1: I uh, agree with you. So one, you know, parents will say to me about um, middle school kids, they'll say, "Well, kids should never swear." And I say, "Oh, do you never swear?" <laughs> So I'll ask an audience of adults, I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever in your life uttered a swear word. And pretty much every hand goes up. And I say, now put your hand down uh, unless you've uttered a swear word at a job interview. And pretty much every hand goes down. And I say, that's the skill my kids need to learn, not to never swear, but to never swear at the wrong time. So how
0: do you teach it? I know, yes, model good behavior, but is is there okay. a so secret yes, sauce to, model. to teaching
1: That's us. the worst part. But yes, it is really about helping them understand the why, meeting them developmentally where they are. So with your five-year-old, you just say, yeah, we don't watch those shows. They're not good for our brain. Or, nope, we're not going to use those platforms because um, they change brain chemistry and make us feel and, and make it harder to control how we behave. Great. That's a great six-year-old way to handle it. But at 9 or 10 or 11, when you, I hope, are saying to your child, yeah, sorry, no social media yet, and they're like, but my friends, be like, yeah. So parents have been having the but my friends argument since the beginning of friends. That's not hard. We know how to say everybody has different rules. We have the reasons for our rules. Your friends have the reasons for their rules. The place that a lot of parents push back, Lauren, is when they say, but my kid will miss out on social experiences. Because they're not on these apps and they're not finding out what's going on. And yet, the problem with these apps, we know from research, is that when they're on them, they have far fewer in-person social experiences. So I call shenanigans on that logic. Meaning? Wait, so you're saying... Yeah. Keep your kids off social media till they're 13. So you
0: think 13
1: is the age? I think for sure 13. The reason that most of the social media companies have that line in the sand in their in their requirements. The box when you click I agree to all of the protocols to get on one of those apps, one of them says I am 13 or older. And the reason is because the medical and psychiatric community push really hard to say developmentally kids before 13, neurotypical kids cannot handle this well. It is rat poison for them.
0: I I was just giving you um, I guess some pushback because I thought you had said earlier to me that the recommendations from from the Surgeon General to be 14 with the parent next to you were kind of unrealistic, but you are sticking by at least the first part of it. The The parent
1: next to you that I think is unrealistic. I just, I have a job. I have other
0: kids. I have stuff that needs to go on. Can I just say something really simple too? I'm not so good on social media, like how it works. Like I, I, I'm never going to be as savvy as my child on social media or with the computer. You are a
1: digital immigrant (laughs) and your child is a digital native. Yes, well said my parents were american natives and their parents were immigrants and i can't tell you the number of things my mom smoked and told her parents they had to let her because it's what real american kids did like this is this is an understandable disconnect but one of the things you can do lauren is you can sit down next to your child and respect their expertise and say hey are you on Be Real? I heard about this. It's a new app. It's not that new, but you could sit down and say, <laughs> I, "I heard Pretend about this app." Pretend you're cool. Yeah, and no, not even pretending. Like owning the fact that you're not and saying, "I heard about Be Real." Do you use it? And have them be like, "Uh, yeah, great. Teach it to me."
0: Huh. That's also a good way to see exactly how in depth they are in. The digital social media space, right? To test. And I'll give
1: your listeners a hack. If you sit down next to your child and you ask for a tour of any of their apps, if they have to sign into the app, they're not signing into their main account because we leave our main account open on our phones. We don't have to we don't sign out of our apps. So if your child's signing in in front of you into an app, it's not the one they usually use. They have a second. I need more hacks. Give me more hacks. Okay, so another hack is to say to your child not what should you be doing and not what are your friends doing because middle schoolers are chemically really bonded to their peer group and very loyal in general. So instead, what you do is you say, hey, your younger cousin is about to get their first smartphone and their parent asked me for any advice you have about what I should tell them, what rules they should have. Hmm. Kids are really pretty strict when they're talking about how to protect younger kids that they know and care about. We do this in schools a lot. As a matter of fact, there's some amazing research out of whole villages about public health issues where we know that when we say to kids, to protect yourself, we want you to wash your hands after you use the bathroom and before you eat food. And when we say to a different group of kids in the same you know, cultural and religious setting, "We, um, to protect the younger kids in your community, we need you to wash your hands there is a four times greater uptake of hand-washing when they're doing it to protect younger children than when they're doing it to protect themselves.
0: Oh, so they're sweet and compassionate. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have We're mommy today right after this. And I I wanted to ask you about older children and maybe even young adults. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. We're back on We're Momming today with Dr. Gilboa. Dr. G, thanks for coming on. Um, there was a NYU Stern professor, Scott uh, Galloway, and he had a message for his students, essentially, for Gen Z, saying this work-from-home thing is killing you. It is hurting you both professionally but also romantically. And that kind of resonated. I don't think Gen Z wants to hear that. They want to work from home. But is he on to something? Uh- it's, it's this isolation that uh, is fostered by technology that makes us kind of... It's a big
1: struggle. I
0: I think that he is in large part right in the quote that you've
1: read to me. And I will tell you actually that the college students that I've worked with tell me they are not interested in their first jobs after school being worked from home. They want to meet people, get there, meet mentors. And that's a place, I can tell you, I work with a lot of corporations on organizational resilience. And one of the places that their youngest employees are really searching is for mentorship and development. One of the great things about Gen Z is that they don't differentiate between professional development and personal development because they see themselves really three-dimensionally. And One of the places that millennial folks are really struggling is in the increased isolation over their workforce life, not finding those relationships, not having
0: mentors that they keep, even when they go to the next job. That's encouraging that. So his message isn't falling on deaf ears there. I really think that's
1: true, both through their own experience and also through their thoughtful. You know, Gen Z is incredibly critical, and I mean that in a positive sense. They critique what they're going through. They are used to being able to see their whole life, see something and comment on it and interact with other people who are commenting on it. And that's a good thing that's come out of online life. They expect to be able to advocate, to say, yes, I agree with this, but that point didn't resonate, or I think that's ridiculous. And so they are critiquing what they're seeing. They are not at all unaware of the mental health crisis that they and their friends are in. And so, you know, I mean, they are wondering, how do I navigate this? One of my own young adult sons said to me, I, I'd like to date a woman who doesn't have anxiety. And it's incredibly hard to find, but I don't know that I have what it takes, given everything I'm trying to accomplish in my life, to be there for a partner who has anxiety to that to the degree that I'm seeing it in the people I'm meeting.
0: I feel like anxiety has become the new trendy word. Um So
1: feeling anxious is something that every person experiences
0: and it keeps us alive. Feeling
1: anxious is protective and helpful. When you go up to a lookout at a national park and you lean out to get a great view or a good picture and the guardrail at your knee starts to move, the feeling you have is anxiety. Your brain is saying, step back, you could die. Mm. So you can see how feeling anxious saves lives. The problem is when those feelings of anxiety from feeling like you're under threat or at risk become out of proportion with the actual situation you're in and begin to interfere with your ability to do your normal daily How activities. common is that? So we're seeing it. We are seeing a great deal of it. One of the conversations that ha- is happening is, are people correct? You know, During the pandemic, there was a tremendous amount of anxiety about interacting with other people, that was entirely understandable. And I wouldn't have classified as pathologic because it was risky. And your brain was telling you it was risky because it was risky. The problem is learning the skills that you need to accurately evaluate the situation you're in. When your heart starts to beat like you're being chased by a lion and it was only from opening an email, that is, A a chemical truth. You're not lying, right? The chemistry in your brain uh, is making your heart beat that fast, but you have to find a way to utilize the strategies and skills built into becoming more resilient to help you not have that sort of panic attack from opening an email.
0: How is this so common, though? That your son actually says, I'm just looking to find someone that I can date that doesn't have these issues. Isn't crippled crippled by anxiety. I have to deal with crippled by anxiety. Thank you. And this brings you back to the
1: converse, the beginning of our conversation, which is where did this mental health is, health crisis come from? And the truth is that even before social media, a lot of it comes from the performance pressure we have been placing mm. on children for about the last twenty years.
0: Okay, so many questions. I was at a, um, I'm writing this down, so don't forget performance pressure. Okay, I was at a uh, communion for my uh, my nephews. They're twins, and um, congratulations. Thank you. One, um, an older cousin was there. She's fourteen. And honestly, I haven't seen her in a few years because of COVID. Mm-hmm. But she is beautiful. She is smart. She is popular. She is kind. She is like the, the perfect daughter, right? I'd love to you're have her as my daughter. you tell me she is
1: stressed beyond belief.
0: Yeah, and she she opened up to me about that, and I looked at her and I was like, really? Because yeah. you're not. Why? How? And she's that's exactly what she said. She's like, I'm always trying to be perfect. I was like, but you're. I know her. Great. Her mom's my cousin. I'm like. Your mom's not putting that pressure on you. Your dad's not putting that pressure on you. And she said, no, I'm putting it on myself. And it got me thinking because I look at my kids are younger. But, I mean, they're in an activity every single day of the week. And I often question myself, okay, is keeping them that busy with or without the, the need to perform? I mean, you can just go to a practice and not be the best in that particular sport, for instance. But they might feel like they have to be. But does that busyness equate to... Performance pressure? Like, where does that performance pressure come from? It comes from a bunch of places. And
1: some of it, to Dr. Murthy's point, does come from social media, because on social media, all that girl's peer group sees is how perfect she looks. So then they talk about her that way. And that's what she feels like she has to maintain to keep their affection or their attention or their friendship. But There is, but to your point, Lauren, and I know, you know, we could talk about this for hours. So to bring this to one point that I think is useful, the issue is for kids, where their identity lies. Mm. So if your your busy kid's identity lies in being an athlete in that sport, then if they get injured or they're not great or they don't make the travel team, they wonder who am I? Your niece's identity is wrapped up in the things people said about her at that communion. Oh my gosh, you're doing so well in school and you're so pretty and you're so popular. And so now those are the things that she feels make her valuable. So kids who have less busyness get more chance to figure out what their identity is when other people aren't telling them what box they fit into.
0: Wow. Um, how, how much of a struggle personally for you was it to find your kids' identities?
1: Well, so the good news is it's not my job to find their identity. <laughs> it's just my job to give okay. them
0: the space to find their identity. You, okay. That, that, is, that was actually brilliant. That was brilliant. But I guess I mean it in the sense of, for me, I struggle to find what I think that they enjoy to give them more of it, to provide an op- to open a door for
1: them. Totally get that. And so I'm going to push back one more time, and then I'm going to give you a real answer. And the pushback is, did your parents lay awake at night try- worrying that they weren't finding the right ways for you to find your identity? Not at all. Free reign. I can okay, do whatever so I want. So I'm just saying it's possible we swung that pendulum too far. Because I think yeah. what you are really asking yeah. me, Lauren, is how did I resist the pressure to keep my kids so busy so that we could find their zone of genius before the age of 15?
0: Yeah. I I just feel like there's also so many options. I mean, like everyone has a club and a sport and some friends, like there's just so many options. I If they show that they're interested in something, I'm like, okay, let's do it.
1: <laughs> cool. I um, And I think part of it is that we as moms especially have been encouraged to enmesh our identity with theirs. The number of parents online saying, we applied to seven colleges. We got accepted to this school. We don't know what classes to pick. Drive me crazy. It's not let's do it. It's you do it. So the rules I've made for my kids have been so I've, for example, one of my kids is starting high school next year, and I have not told him what I want him to sign up for or what, you know, asked him what will he do.
0: I've said, I don't care what you do, but you have to pick something. That's what I say to my son, who's lazy. My son doesn't do much, but he has to do one thing. Every, okay, but um, maybe
1: he's not, maybe he's not lazy. Maybe he's cautious. And remember that our kids live up to the words we say about them. Oh. So if you keep saying he's lazy, he's going to be like, oh, that's my identity.
0: Aww. Um, even if it's negative,
1: right? So I want you to think
0: of it differently. Well, he I is lazy, though. I mean, he really is so, lazy. <laughs> but, but perhaps we toys ask away. No. him. And you
1: could ask him, Lauren. You could say to him, so I was taught that this was laziness. But what if it isn't? What, what do you think it is? Right? And he might be good at resting. He might be cautious about not wanting to jump into something socially because he doesn't really know what's going on. He might be uh, really strong against peer pressure, even parent pressure, which would be really helpful for him in life. So it may also be a positive. Parents like to say, oh, my kid's a picky eater. But actually, I always reframe that for parents and say, then your kid is a really brave eater. I've never had to be a brave eater because I've never come across a food I didn't like that much. (laughs) <laughs> but people who have a lot of food sensitivities or that's how I explain food... my weight <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot of foods that are, they don't they just have tried and don't like they have to be really brave to try something new so when we start to talk about four and five year olds as brave eaters and not picky eaters they try more things okay
0: what do you say to a parent who just says okay this is a lot of mental gymnastics i just want to tell my kid i told you so or i just want to tell tell my kid you need to do this because i said so I think that if it's something that is that that you should definitely
1: have a few of those things, right? If you say you just definitely have to come to our house of worship with you, even if you don't see any value in it, because I told you so. For me, my kids have to be at our family Friday night dinner every week, their whole lives. They can always bring friends, but they have to be there. If they're going out, they have to go out afterwards, because I told you so. And with some of my kids, that's been an argument for three solid years, but they always come back to it. So for me, that's a hill
0: I'll die on. But I'm not going to die on lacrosse. Yeah. I'm not going to die on yearbook. Well, you know what I say? I, I, I put – I'm like if we, if we commit to it, we're going to finish it and then you don't have to do it again. I don't let them drop out if that makes sense. Uh,
1: I would say 90 percent of the time that's right and 10 percent of the time they are right and you're wrong. So the question is can you – instead of just saying like but I made a commitment and I don't like how I would feel about myself as your mom if you quit this, you say to them help me understand why you think this should be an exception and I'm interested. I'm not it's, – it's not a democracy, but I'm really interested in your opinion.
0: Yeah. Well, that one usually works for me because I say, well, your friends are going to feel let down because you're really good at that and they need you. Anyway, OK. Um, so <laughs> back to the – do you think the mental health crisis is a younger person problem, a kid, a teenager, a Gen Z, maybe a millennial problem, or do you think it's more expansive? And I'm asking because, and I don't mean to put my personal tint on all of this, but when I talk to my friends and my family members, we're all okay. Either we, we've we dealt with our own anxieties, however we have, growing up, we deal with them now, but it's just not, we don't have Or this. we're not willing to talk about it,
1: right? You have friends who are on mood-stabilizing medications who would not tell anyone. You think, okay. You have friends who are in therapy who won't tell
0: anyone. So we're One ashamed of, the of it. Is- the younger generation is not.
1: So there's less stigma, not no stigma. Don't get me wrong, but there is less stigma and less shame. And that is a qualitatively good change. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. yeah, I'd actually go with there's no stigma right now. I I would go that far.
1: I, I mean, if you live with someone with mental health, with mental illness, they will tell you that's not true. Right? Mm. That's not true in jobs. It's not true in school admission. It's not true in family experiences. Is like it? There is still stigma. How so? For the most part, how about this, Lauren? When I say mental illness, you imagine, I mean, a lifelong struggle, but mm. everyone, a hundred percent of people in their lives go through periods of time, just like we go through physical illnesses that resolve completely. But for a while you had to miss some work. Or you couldn't do all your usual activities because you did not feel good. Well, that happens with our mental health as well, but we don't even have words to describe
0: it. Um, but I know our, our, there's disability leave that you can take for mental health reasons. I, I don't know how it pertains yeah. to academics, but I, that's how it is in the, sure, in the professional Sure, you can take that space. leave.
1: Try coming back afterwards and then putting yourself up for a promotion. Oh. If you were out because you had pneumonia or a broken leg, you put yourself up for promotion, people don't even think twice. Come back from family medical leave for mental illness, even in your family, not just in yourself. Seriously. And are like, Whoa, well, wait, wait, wait that's too unpredictable.
0: That's for human resources to know. Your your coworkers, did I mean, does your boss have to know that? Like, how would that be used against you?
1: Oh, all the time. I mean, I really? sign a lot of family medical leave paperwork for patients. And Ugh. they're begging me not to put those diagnoses on. I won't I won't be fraudulent. So if that's the reason, that's the reason. But then we're trying to game out. How do they do this? Because most people don't live in huge cities where their privacy is really their privacy. They know somebody who knows somebody.
0: And they're still ashamed of it or don't want it to hurt for them. Sh- or, or, or people are still them. judging them
1: because of it. And so they. it's not even just a matter of shame. It's a matter of stigma. Shame is how you feel yourself. Stigma is what other people put on you.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's so sad. I feel like I had so – is there anything that you want to bring up that you think is important to you, is important to listeners, or something that's just not even being spoken about?
1: Yes. All change is stressful to our brains. All change, even the good stuff. And so because of that, it's important to know that if you are stressed, it doesn't mean you're doing life wrong. Stress is not the enemy. It can be dangerous, but so can exercise be dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes stress to get the life we want, to get the job we want, the relationships we want, the family experiences we want, a vacation we want. It takes stress. So this idea that we should avoid stress at all costs is not just unrealistic. The idea that we should avoid social media at all costs is not just unrealistic. It's actually not that helpful. A better way is to say, okay, if my kid's social media use is stressing me out, I have to figure out why and what's a better way to approach it. If I have a stressor that's really freaking me out, I have to figure out, is it totally avoidable? And I think in a nine-year-old, social media is totally avoidable. And in a 15-year-old who's gonna have to get a job in a few years where they use social media, it's probably not totally avoidable. If it's totally avoidable and useless, great, get rid of it. But for most stresses, whether it's social media or anything else, it's either of unavoidable or actually useful, meaning it's getting you towards a change you want in your life. And then the answer isn't to try to avoid it or numb yourself or self-care your way out of it. The answer is to figure out what's your goal with it and what strategies will get you there. Hmm.
0: Do you feel like we might have went a little bit too far where there's people pulling back because everything stresses them out and they just want to be so protective yeah. of their mental health?
1: Yes, we have, we have this myth in our society that if you're stressed, you're doing life wrong.
0: Oh. But we're always stressed all the time and we just have to deal and, with right, what you're exactly. saying. Right, and, yeah. exactly. And it's somebody else's fault. So you yes. should look for
1: the villain and blame them. And I think both of those things are damaging. And they're more damaging to kids because they haven't lived long enough to question those narratives. And because as
0: parents, we're thinking if our kids are stressed,
1: we're doing life wrong.
0: And oh. that's not true. This is what I, I want to ask you. Um, do you think every every pediatrician office should have a mental health professional? Uh, so I'm a family doctor
1: and we see kids you know all the time and we do have behavioral health as part of our office. I think two things. I think um, every provider who sees kids should be taught more about evaluating mental health and where on the mental health spectrum people are. And including kids and their grown-ups, who incredibly impact kids' lives.
0: Well, no one's and perfect, then, uh, though, right? There's there's right. no perfect version of mental health, is there? No, okay. right? No,
1: not at all. And we are all every day on a spectrum from he- healthy to coping to unwell to really um, struggling, right? Okay. So figuring out where we are. But the bigger answer to your question, Lauren, is that we need so many more mental health resources in prevention and treatment in our country to save lives, for sure.
0: Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcasts plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Thank you very much. Thank you.